You're listening to the Fitness and Wellness Class, powered by NASM. NASM's new subscription service, NASM Connected, is the best value in fitness. When you sign up, you'll get access to everything you'll need to expand your career, master new disciplines, and stay up to date with your certification in one great package. Gain instant access to over 350 online fitness courses available anywhere, anytime, on any device. Earn CEUs for dozens of approved providers. Plus, unlock articles, webinars, videos, and podcasts from the biggest names in fitness. Don't wait. Sign up today and unlock the best content in fitness at the best price. Get connected at nasm.org connected or call one 800 460 6276. Hi, welcome to the NASM Virtual Optima in 2020. I'm bringing to you a session on micronutrients and the immune system. So let's get rolling. My name is Kat Bearfield. I'm currently serving as the Vice President of Nutrition Services for DotFit Worldwide. And I've got a lot of good stuff for you. So let's dig in. Uh, first, we're gonna cover unproven remedies for the coronavirus. We're obviously in a pandemic right now and everyone's talking about it. So we're gonna get into some of the stuff that's not quite evidence-based. We'll be talking about the factors that weaken the immune system so you know what not to do, as well as the, I call them approach behaviors that strengthen the immune system. After all, that's what everyone's interested in. How do I strengthen my immune system? We'll talk about the different layers, get a little bit technical, not too bad, the layers of the immune system and some of the key micronutrients, the vitamins and minerals that are required within the immune system. We'll talk about micronutrient intakes in the United States and how well Americans are eating or not. And then a little bit of a deep dive on um, vitamin D. And then finally, we'll go into the micronutrients that may be beneficial and higher than current recommended amounts. Okay, let's dig in. So I feel compelled to tell you you know, the truth about the immune system. Probably the one of the most common questions I get asked is how do I boost my immune system, right? Nobody wants to get sick. Nobody wants to get the coronavirus. So what are the, what can I do to boost my immune system? And so first and foremost, what you need to know, uh, especially as a fitness professional, is that essentially there are no quick fixes. There are no hacks no hacks to boosting your immune system. And in the fitness industry, we tend to preach and teach that consistency is key to getting results. And so just like you know, losing weight or building muscle tissue or getting stronger, faster, or improving your athletic performance, consistency is required to build a strong immune system. So sorry to break it to you, but that's what we do in the evidence-based space. So what can you do? Well, you got to be aware that there's a lot of unproven products related to the coronavirus. And what's interesting is the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, you know, called the FDA, as well as the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, they have issued over 100 warning letters um, to different companies 
who are allegedly selling products and treatments that are unproven, that are misleading, that are deceptive. So at the moment, at the current time, there's nothing that can prevent or cure the coronavirus. The best thing that we can do is follow best practices with social distancing, hand washing, um, you know, using a mask, things like that. But in terms of products, supplements, there are a lot of things out there that are just unproven. And some of those things include, you know, colloidal silver. You may have seen infomercials about those, essential oils, teas, even CBD products have been touted to help prevent or cure the coronavirus, detoxes, um, herbs, different supplements, even acupuncture, chiropractic treatments have all been touted to treat and prevent the coronavirus. So you need to know that those are unproven um, and to be to beware and to your advise your clients to, to be aware of these products that are being touted to prevent or cure the coronavirus. So what do we know that weakens the immune system? I always think that it's smart to know what not to do, right? So what do you what do you avoid doing? Well, you got to know the things that weaken your immune system. And many of those things you already know are lifestyle factors. So if you look at the graphic on the slide, you'll see that right sort of in the middle of it is a compromised immune system. And when you have a compromised immune system, well, that increases your risk of infection, whether it be a bacteria, whether it be a virus. And all of the things that are surrounding the compromised immune function are all the things that contribute to that. So let's take a look at the top left and you'll see that a hectic stress lifestyle is one of the contributing factors. Um, and then that would lead to, if you have a hectic stressful lifestyle, you're on the go constantly. Well, what does that lead to in a lot of people's lifestyles? Well, it leads to making poor food choices. So if you're picking up fast food and all, all fast food is bad, but certainly there's a lot of choices that aren't the healthiest. And so if you're eating fast food all the time with a lot of what they call energy dense, micronutrient poor foods, um, it's also referred to as hyper palatable or empty calories. Um, if you're choosing those foods on a regular basis, well then what are you not getting? You're not getting the micronutrients, you're not getting the vitamin minerals. So being stressed, leading a hectic lifestyle and even being bored can lead to poor, to poor food choices. So you also see on the graphic um, low income. So your socioeconomic status can also affect the access that you have to you know, nutritious, fresh foods. And that can play a factor into having a poor diet. And then of course, being sedentary, we all know the ramifications of a sedentary lifestyle, which then is a risk factor for obesity, which then contributes to poor diet. And then if you're restricting your diet, many people, especially in this industry, they restrict their diet they don't eat certain foods because they think they're bad for them um, or maybe they have a food allergy maybe they're just following a certain protocol to lose weight if you restrict your diet that can also lessen your micronutrient intake and lead to a poor diet all of these factors on the top left of this graphic what do they all pour into they point to a poor diet which then leads to suboptimal below optimal nutritional status which then compromises your immune function okay so you can see there's a lot of contributing factors to a poor diet that are controllable so some of the other factors pollution Cigarette smoke, we know what damage that those things do. It actually increases our need for certain micronutrients if you're um, around a lot of pollution or if you smoke cigarettes. 
chronic stress, whether that's physical, psychological, emotional, mental, um, that can have ramifications as well as poor sleep. And sleep quality in the United States isn't great. So, you know, especially around the stress we're having with the economy and with the pandemic, probably people are, are having a harder time sleeping. Excessive alcohol consumption, that can contribute, can rob nutrients or displace nutrients um, to be more accurate, as well as prolonged excessive exercise. So if you exercise too much excessively, especially without taking adequate breaks, that can compromise your immune system. We see that happen uh, particularly in ultra endurance events and athletes where their immune system can be you know, temporarily suppressed. So all these things can increase your risk of infection, right? So now you know the factors that weaken the immune system and maybe think about modifying some of these things in your life so that you don't compromise your immune system, right? Easier said than done, I know, but we need to put it out there so we know we know what not to do. Okay, so what can you do to strengthen the immune system from a lifestyle perspective, right? We call these approach behaviors. What can you do? Focus on what you can control, right? So you wanna limit alcohol. You wanna limit alcohol to a drink per day for women, two for men. And those have very specific definitions. So a drink is considered a five ounce glass of wine, a 12 ounce you know, beer, and I think one and a half ounces of hard liquor. Those are def the definitions of one drink. It's not just a big mug that you have or a big gigantic goblet of wine, right? It's limited to it a certain amount. So you wanna limit that. You wanna incorporate relaxation techniques you know, deep breathing, meditation, you know, spending time in nature, listening to music, dancing, all of these things can help relieve stress so that you don't make poor food choices, so that you don't drink alcohol, right? So that you limit the physiological effects that stress has in the body. Developing a creative hobby is a great idea. You know, now that we have time, many of us are, are not working or we're, you know, confined to our homes. And so maybe you have more time to develop a creative hobby like gardening, like painting, like sewing. That'll help alleviate some stress or manage stress. And of course, as a, as a dietitian, this is one of my favorite ones, including a wide variety of fresh fruits and veggies that you enjoy. And that's really key is that you enjoy the foods that you're consuming. I think life is too short to eat stuff that we hate, right? Okay, what else? Getting adequate protein. We know proteins roll throughout the body and especially throughout the immune system. You wanna make sure you're getting a wide variety of protein sources, why? Because there's different nutrients in the different types of protein and so fish and seafood offer what? Well, they offer the key omega-3 fats that you're not going to get in let's say chicken or beef or beans and lentils and things like that. So you want a wide variety of protein to help your immune system. Prioritizing good sleep. Well, how do you do that? Well, you practice good sleep hygiene. And one of the things that people may be doing during the pandemic is they're using their screens more. And so that could help prevent you from falling asleep because of exposure to blue light. Blue light suppresses melatonin production. Melatonin makes you sleepy. So you wanna avoid using your devices um, an hour before bedtime so that you can fall asleep more easily. Increasing your daily steps. 
So it's not, a lot of the gyms are closed. So we want to make sure we're still moving. So moving more throughout the day by setting step goals is another way to keep your energy expenditure, your calorie expenditure up so that you don't, you know, gain unwanted weight. Rescue a dog. And I saw in the news that, you know, all the different animal shelters, basically all the dogs have been rescued, which I think is fabulous, right? It's one of the silver linings of the pandemic. And what will that, how will that help you? Well, not only does it relieve stress, but it also encourages you to, to walk and to move more throughout the day if you do rescue a dog. Doing exercise that you enjoy. Again, if you like something, if it's fun, you know, it's going to be reinforcing and you're going to be more likely to stick to it. So make sure you pick exercise that you enjoy as opposed to things that you think you should be doing, right? Pick things you enjoy like dancing, like walking in nature, et cetera. And then finally in red is what we're gonna be focusing the remainder of this talk in, and that's optimizing your nutritional status by consuming adequate amounts of micronutrients. And what I mean by micronutrients is vitamins and minerals and healthy fats. Okay, so layers of the immune system. From a high level standpoint, um, I think it's you know important to know basically how the immune system is structured. So we have layers of the immune system. We have multiple, you can think of them as lines of defense to protect us from pathogens. So we have our physical barriers, we have skin. So when your skin's intact, it can protect you from bacteria or virus from, from infecting you. We have our GI tract, our gastrointestinal tract, which secretes you know acid and different um, substances to, to kill bacteria. We have our mucous membrane. So those, that's part of the physical barriers. We also have our biochemical defense system, like your acids, saliva, secretions, mucus. And you probably all experienced it having a cold. Your body's gonna try to expel um, you know, pathogens so that you doesn't enter your system and make you sick. So all those things are part of the immune system. Then we have actual immune cells. You've probably heard them referred to as white blood cells, like your phagocytes, leukocytes, lymphocytes. There's so many other ones we'll get into a little bit. And then your antibodies or immunoglobulins. So those are the different layers of the immune system. You can see that it's throughout the body as depicted on this picture. So let's take it to another level, right? So on this graphic, this is from a paper that essentially was a review paper published in Nutrients this year, taking a look at the layers of the immune system and the different vitamins and minerals involved in the layers of the immune system. So once again, you can see on the left, the physical and biochemical barriers, and then you can see the immune cells, we get really specific, and the antibodies. The key point is that if you looked at the bottom, that you need to have vitamins and minerals within each one of these layers of immune system, which then allows the body to provide two major types of immunity. One is innate immunity, and our innate immunity is what we're born with, right? It's just part of us that when we're born, we have skin, we have our GI tract intact, we have all these things. So you don't have to do anything, you just get it for free. And then we have our acquired immune system, which requires exposure, right? So that's one of the reasons why we have vaccinations is to expose people to, you know, essentially a dead bird, a dead virus so that they build up the immunity or the antibody so that they don't get the actual disease like chickenpox or measles, et cetera. Okay, so 
the key takeaway from this slide is there's multiple layers of the immune system. You get different types of immunity and you need micronutrients for both. Okay, you ready for a little bit more detail? I like detail. So let's dig in a little bit more. If my clicker would work. Okay, here we go. So this is the graphic that essentially outlines or sort of, you know, gives you step by step what happens when your body is exposed to a pathogen. And once again, a pathogen is a foreign invader, if you will, a bacteria or a virus. You can start on the top left um, on the on the graphic, you know, in black, it says pathogen. And then it outlines each one of the steps and how the body reacts throughout the immune system. So what do you notice? I circled all these areas in red. What do you notice? So you may notice that multiple vitamins are required at each one of these steps in the immune response. Multiple vitamins as well as multiple minerals. So there's a lot of overlap in all these different areas or of response to a pathogen, right? And so what do you think happens if you're not consuming enough micronutrients in your diet, right? These are the different areas of the immune system. This is how we respond. Well, it's probably safe to say that if you're not consuming adequate amounts of all these different vitamins and minerals, that it may impair various aspects of that immune response, okay? And we don't want that. We don't want our immune system impaired. What do we want? We want our immune system to, to put on a full-fledged attack when we're invaded by a pathogen, a bacteria, or a virus. And so therefore, you're gonna wanna optimize your micronutrient intakes, okay? So the key takeaway, is the body requires optimal levels of micronutrients for effective immune system, immune function, excuse me. And there's different requirements throughout the life stage. And if you're paying attention, those of you who are studying nutrition, or maybe that's your field, you'll, you know that the recommended dietary allowances, they're specific to life stage, to gender and to age, right? So optimal levels throughout the life lifespan. Okay, so I wanna do this little exercise, right? I want you guys to take a minute and assess your nutritional intake. So let's start with what we call the antioxidant vitamins, right? Those are vitamins, the ACE vitamins, A, C, and E. They have antioxidant activities. In other words, they protect, there's vitamins that have activity against free radicals um, that can damage cells. So vitamin A, the way I laid this chart out is I put the micronutrients on the left and then in the middle is the daily RDA, recommended dietary allowance for adults over 19. Then under that column is, is the amount that you should be consuming through your diet and then some good food sources. So take a moment and think, okay, do you eat these foods? Do you eat beef liver, sweet potato, carrot, spinach, pumpkin on a regular basis? Are you getting enough vitamin D in your diet? What about vitamin C? Are you eating citrus fruits, strawberries, broccoli, kale, tomatoes, and red peppers regularly? And then vitamin E, are you getting, you get nuts and seeds in your diet? Are you eating um, different vegetable oils and avocado, are you including avocado in your diet? So what you're, what you're, what's interesting about this is in the United States, 
The dietary guidelines for Americans have identified at least 17 nutrients that Americans commonly fall short of. And these are some of those. So in our country, you'll see that at least a third of Americans are not meeting daily needs for vitamin A. For vitamin C, it's around the same. And for vitamin E, it's much greater. It's 80% are not getting what they need daily um, from their diets. Okay, so let's keep going. Let's take a look next at minerals. So copper, iron, selenium, zinc, you all saw these within those graphics and the layers of immunity. They all play a role. They all work synergistically. Okay, so are you eating shellfish, nuts, seeds, organ meats, whole grains, and chocolate? Me, chocolate, yes. <laughs> are you getting enough red meat, chicken, turkey, fish, lentils, and fortified foods? Fortified foods, right, they're enriched with iron. That's why cereal has a lot of iron in it because it's added to the food supply. Selenium, what do we know about selenium? Another mineral that has antioxidant activity. It's in Brazil nuts, seafoods, organ meats, and grains. And then zinc, key role in the immune system. The, you know, the best source of zinc is oysters. So do you eat oysters? Do you eat crab? Do you eat beef, pork, or beans? So let's take a look next at, are Americans getting enough? Well, we know that for copper, about a third fall short. For iron, 34% fall short, and women, especially if they're menstruating, they tend to fall even shorter because of monthly losses. 15% um, fall short of selenium, and approximately 42% of the population fall short in zinc. Not a good thing. Okay, let's keep going. Omega-3 fish oils, are you getting enough of these fats that are required throughout the body? Are you eating at least two servings and that equates to about eight ounces, you know, maybe two meals with fish per week. And those um, foods include salmon, it's popular, mackerel, anchovies, um, sardines, and herring. I, I like to remember these using the acronym SMASH, right? The SMASH fish. They are rich in omega. So do you do that? Well, what does the actual data show us? If you look at this particular study, which actually tracked omega-3 intake based on ethnicity, income, um, socioeconomic status, what you'll see on the right is the total fish intake across different ethnicities is pretty good, right? The servings per month, it's, it's, they all seem to be eating over five servings of fish total per week. But if you dig a little bit deeper to the right, is the high N3 fish. N3 means omega-3. So as you can see, most Americans across ethnicities do not consume the recommended number of fish um, because this is on a per month basis. And what do we say you needed? You need two fatty fish servings per week. So most Americans are falling five servings short of fish and therefore aren't consuming enough of your omega-3 fish oils, which plays a role, particularly in inflammation. So, and that's part of the immune response, right? Okay, I think I have one more, and that's vitamin D. So let's see if you're consuming enough vitamin D. First of all, the best source of vitamin D is UVB radiation. So are you getting 30 minutes of UV light directly to your arms, your face, your legs? so that you can produce vitamin D in the body. Again, you get exposed to sunlight, it hits your skin, the cholesterol in your skin is then converted into vitamin D. Depending on where you live, you, you may not. 
And there's very few natural food sources. You get it in fish, you get it in mushrooms that are exposed to UV light, but there's not that many natural sources of vitamin D, which is why um, it's added to the food supply. It's added in milk, orange juice, cheese, and cereal. And what do we know? We know that you need around 600 to 800 international units a day. And we know that more is needed for at-risk individuals. At-risk individuals are older people um, because their conversion um, gets uh, inefficient as you age. People who have excess body fat, the vitamin D gets trapped. People who have dark pigmented skin, they have more protection. Therefore, they need more sun to produce more vitamin D. They need more than the RDA. And what the data shows us is about 93% fall short of vitamin D requirements. Okay, so now let's do this. Now that you've assessed your diet essentially, right, by just taking a look at the food sources and you know what the typical American does, um, I wanted to sort of take some time to sort of compare the two, you know, tracking macros, which is very um, common and very popular in the fitness industry versus tracking micros. So you can see one of the graphics I've included here shows you how many calories per gram is in carbs, proteins, and fat. And no, alcohol is not a macronutrient, okay? But it does have calories, so I thought I would include it there. You can't just not include those. So if you were to break it down and try to determine your macronutrient intake, many of you are already doing this, right? As long as you know the portion sizes, of what you're consuming and you know there's four calories, four calories, nine calories, seven calories per gram, you can pretty much determine your exact macronutrient intake. And there's a ton of different apps to do this. So that's that's fairly easy. Now, you just assessed your diet. How are you gonna assess your micronutrient intake? Right, that's a little bit more challenging because there's approximately 30 vitamins and minerals um, or micronutrients, including the fatty acids. And so how do you how do you determine if you're getting all 30? Well, as a dietitian, I can tell you what we do is we plug in someone's diet into so, a, you know, sophisticated software so that we can assess the level of micronutrient intake. That's not what most people are doing. And so this is a more challenging task to take, right? Because of variation of food content, the inability to assess how much micronutrient is in each and every food. It's just not that easy to do, although we do have apps for it people don't pay as much attention to their micronutrient intake as they do their macronutrient intake. And so, you know, a lot of times they're not paying attention to their micronutrient status. Another thing that's pretty popular in the fitness industry is the diet culture, right? Following a certain eating style, whether it's keto, you know, carnivore seems to be all the rage nowadays. Um, maybe veganism is very popular or vegetarian, Mediterranean diets, all these different diets people ascribe to is very common in, um, in fitness and just in the population in general. And what we know is that when you cut out or when you restrict calories, for one, you reduce your micronutrient intake. But then when you start avoiding certain food groups, now you're really reducing your micronutrient intake. Vegans, for example, there are certain nutrients that are inherent in animal foods that you just don't get in plant foods. And so you have to do a little bit more careful planning with food selection. If you're cutting out, let's say, all dairy, what are you missing? Well, you're missing calcium. You're missing vitamin D. So you've got to be more careful um, when you're following a certain diet type because you reduce your micronutrient intake. In fact, some research studies have been published in this area and this particular study, what they did was they plugged in four days worth of menus into software that analyzes diets. 
and they wanted to see if the diets met the daily needs for 27 vitamins and minerals. And so they took very, four very popular diet plans. You guys know that low carb is very popular. Mediterranean is fairly popular. You know, back in the 80s, it was high carb, low fat, but people are following these type of diets still. And then I believe it was the DASH diet that was analyzed, medically based. And so what did they find when they, when they analyzed these diets? What they found was that each one failed to provide between 12 and 21 essential micronutrients. So do you know someone who's following a popular diet? I bet you do. What's happening? They're falling short of their micronutrient intake. Now, what's interesting is they extrapolated the data to see what would it take to consume all 27 micronutrients. And on average, between the four diets, you would need to consume nearly 28,000 calories a day to get your micronutrient needs met for these 27 vitamins and minerals. Well, nobody's going to do that, right? Obviously. Um, so uh, once again, there's got to be a solution. But you as a fitness professional, me as a dietitian, we have to be aware that if our clients are following one of these diets, that yes, they're most likely going to fall short in micronutrient intake. You saw the relationship between that and it's fu the function of micronutrients in the different layers of the immune system. So, you know, we don't want to put our immune system at risk or we don't want to compromise it in any way as our clients attempt to lose weight, lose body fat, etc. Okay, so I wanted to show you a little bit more data on um, micronutrient intakes in the United States. And so this is a fairly recent paper, 2019, and I graphed out the percentage of the United States um, and individuals that are older than two that are missing, significantly falling short of daily requirements. And I actually graphed out levels below the EAR. Let me break that down real quick. So, of course, many Americans are lacking or falling short, even with food fortification. So this is interesting because this is with food fortification, right? With vitamins, minerals added to our food supply. The numbers are way worse if it's just natural, no food fortification. But thankfully, we have food fortification. So the EAR, what's graphed here, is stands for the estimated average requirement. That level of micronutrient intake is two standard deviations, so essentially significantly below the recommended dietary allowance, right? In our country, we don't have really have overt deficiencies, but people do fall short significantly, particularly in these nutrients that I graphed out for you guys involved in the um, immune system. So it's not a pretty picture, essentially. In fact, this caught my headline. This, this headline caught my eye, and it was on the diet quality in the United States. It was published this year in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. And essentially what they found was that poor nutrition is the leading cause of illness. It's not infectious disease. It's not, um, you know, something else. It's, it's, it's poor nutrition. So 46% of adults have a poor quality diet. This is the conclusion that came to, and 56% of kids have a poor quality diet. And essentially, direct quote from the article, more Americans are sick than healthy, largely um, related to diet, to their diet, to their quality of food intake. And so what they, what they basically did was they said that, you know, diet quality in our country, it's a threat to our national security because 71% of young people between 17 and 24, they don't qualify for military service. 
with obesity being the leading disqualifier. So if we can't get people into our military, that's going to affect our ability um, to defend ourselves. So I thought that was interesting as well. So you might be wondering, because your clients have probably asked you, I know clients ask me, people ask me all the time as a dietitian, you know, what supplements would help me, um, you know, be healthier or help my immune system. And so I thought I would present some, some of the data on first multivitamins. And so this is a paper that was published in 2017. Essentially what it assessed was, okay, here are, is the percentage of the population below the EAR, right? Not meeting their daily micronutrient needs. And you can see for calcium it's right below 25%. For iron, essentially people aren't really missing that. They're getting it from fortified foods or, or their diet. For magnesium, it's over 50%. So the first you know, transparent line is people not taking any multivitamins. And then as you follow the bars along, you'll see that the more frequently people take a multivitamin, then the fewer the percentage of the population is below the EAR below the estimated average requirement. So we know that micronutrients um, from multivitamin and mineral supplements, we, we know that it reduces insufficient intakes um, in the population and that more frequent, higher frequency is better than lower frequency or no supplement at all in terms of percentage of population below the EAR. So continued, this is just more, this is just more data from the same study. Now we're looking at copper, phosphorus, pay attention to zinc. Zinc is the, you know, the big line at the, you know, almost 15% of the population not getting micronutrient needs, but if they take a multivitamin and mineral supplement, essentially they can get their daily micronutrient needs met. Okay. Same thing there. So those are just two studies. Um, now, this is a consensus report, and this was significant because it was a consensus report among 14 international experts that looked at the data on multivitamin and mineral supplements. And I want to read this to you because I think it's important for fitness professionals to at least consider. Um, multivitamin mineral supplements, right, the acronym MVMS, um, can broadly improve micronutrient intakes when they contain at least those vitamins and minerals that are consumed insufficiently or have limited bioavailability within a population. So we know that with our population that people are missing around 17 micronutrients and are significantly low in nine of those 17. MVMS, multivitamin mineral supplementation formulation, it can be individualized based on a person's age, their gender, their life cycle, and other selected characteristics. And we do that in a clinical setting, but essentially it should be tailored towards their age, gender, life cycle. Adequate intakes are necessary for normal biological functioning required for good health. We took a look at that with immune function. And there's also data on micronutrients and longevity. And in some instances, like when it comes to optimal immune function, some instances higher than recommended micronutrient intakes have the potential to provide additional benefits. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. So what about safety? Well, these experts um, concluded that long-term use of multivitamin mineral supplements not exceeding the upper limit, okay? The upper limit is the amount that's deemed to be safe. Um, not exceeding the upper limit has been determined to be safe for long-term use. 
Okay, so let's talk a little bit about these values like upper limit, like RDA, like EDAR. So this was a review paper, again, published this year since people are paying a lot of attention to their immune system. Um, it's a review paper that looked at micronutrients and immune function. So we know there's nutrients of concern that people are missing in the United States, right? And we know that that can lead to health issues. Essentially, what they concluded were that certain nutrients may be beneficial in higher amounts than the RDA and below the tolerable upper limit. So if you look at this graphic, you'll see on the y-axis, the axis that's um, vertical, you'll see that in the middle with the dotted line is the recommended dietary allowance. That's all the numbers I shared with you. That's the, that's the amount that's required to prevent deficiency. So we know that you know minimal is not the same thing as optimal. We see that in the protein research. At protein intakes, the RDA is 0.8 grams per kilogram. We know that that's not enough for people who are trying to optimize body composition. Well, the same thing sort of applies to optimal immune function. The RDA seems to be not optimal for certain key micronutrients. Then you have below the RDA is marginal subclinical deficiencies. That's where people tend to be in this country, according to the, the data, is you're not deficient. You don't have scurvy or you don't have marked signs of deficiency, but you do have subclinical, no signs. And you can't really tell. You, you can't tell that you have subclinical deficiencies until it's too late, right? The classic example of that is calcium. People who cr fall uh, chronically short of calcium and the bold building nutrients like vitamin K, they don't know they're not getting enough calcium until when? Until it's down the road and they break a bone. They develop osteoporosis and they break a bone and then they find out that they have weak bones. So we don't know because we can't, there's no overt sign when you have a subclinical deficiency. And then finally, um, the line at the top is the upper limit. That is defined as the maximum amount you can take on a daily basis without adverse effects. And so these researchers concluded that that level in between RDA and UL is questionably, you know, could be where optimal intakes of my, certain micronutrients can be to support our immune system. Okay, so people aren't, uh, you know, aren't suffering from deficiencies, but they're not meeting the RDAs. And they're certainly, you know, generally speaking, not getting optimal amounts. So again, another review paper, I know I'm throwing a lot of research at you guys, but this in particular, if you were to download one paper, this is the one I would suggest that you download if you're interested in, you know, which supplements could potentially help you with um, your immune function. They put together this table and they basically concluded that these handful of supplements could potentially support immune system. So what are those things? So the first one listed is a vitamin and mineral. And if you look closely, what it states is make sure that it meets or it fills in the gaps of where what's missing in the population and that it doesn't exceed the upper limits. So doing that is recommended. Also vitamin C, most people take mega doses of vitamin C. Well, the research doesn't support vitamin C for preventing getting sick, but it has been shown to reduce the severity of symptoms and the duration of colds. So the recommendation here is that your daily intake is 200 milligrams a day to optimize your, your um, immune function. 
And to put in perspective, the RDA is 75 milligrams for women, 90 for men. So this is at least double the RDA to support optimal immune function. And then the upper limit is two grams a day. So you're within that you know, range that I showed you in the previous slide. For vitamin D, vitamin D is the, is the one micronutrient that you know shortages are widespread in the populations. 92, 93% um, fall short and it affects certain populations more than others. We know that vitamin D is involved in the immune system. I'll go into that a little bit later, but the daily recommendation is 2000 international units a day. The RDA is significantly lower. And then we can talk about zinc. Zinc, the recommended ranges, that plays a role in your immune response right around eight to 11. You can typically get that in your multivitamin. You just wanna make sure that it's in there. You don't need to take a separate zinc and then your omega-3 fats, if you're not getting eight ounces of fatty fish um, per week, then you might wanna consider a supplement. The supplement to reach this daily intake of 250 milligrams combined of EPA and DHA, right? So there's not a whole lot of stuff that's out there. There's a handful of micronutrients that people fall short of that can be beneficial, but you don't want to exceed the upper limit unless you're under medical supervision. Okay. so. I'm gonna put this out there. This has been shown to be safe according to this paper. Once again, above the RDA, below the upper limit, uh, particularly for these nutrients and public health officials are encouraged to include nutritional strategies to and their recommendations to improve public health. Okay, so there's your evidence-based supplement piece for those of you who are looking for that. Now, vitamin D, like I said, widespread insufficiencies, and some people are deficient. And this is probably the strongest research we have in regards to a supplement helping with our immune uh, system. And this was a review and meta-analysis of, I believe, uh, 25 randomized control trials. Randomized control trials are considered the gold standard in terms of evidence. And so these were a compilation of, of that data with almost 11,000 participants included. And what they found was that supplementation of D3, the animal form of D3, and D2, the plant form of vitamin D, gave you protection. It reduced your risk of viral and bacterial infection. And the people who had the most deficiencies or that were the most deficient had the greatest protection. So probably the strongest evidence to date we have so far in um, helping our immune function with vitamin D supplements. Um, what's interesting too, is that the daily and weekly supplementation was more effective than bolus doses. So bolus doses means mega doses, so to speak of maybe 10,000 or national units or higher. Um, that wasn't effective as a regular routine of daily weekly supplementation. I don't know why, um, but that's the conclusion that they came to. Okay, separate review, right? Again, in a separate review. So what do we have now? We have the preponderance, the body of evidence that's supporting raising vitamin D levels to blood levels of 30 nanograms per milliliter and preferably higher between 40 and 60. And so you might be wondering, how do I know what my levels are? Well, you have to get them tested. And, I, and it's now part of a routine blood test. I did have to you know, ask my doctor to test it, but ask for a blood test 
of your vitamin D levels and see where you are, especially if you're at risk, right? You don't get sun, you're indoors all the time, you have dark skin, you don't consume any foods that have vitamin D in them. We know the importance of it in our immune system. So make sure that becomes a standard thing you're getting checked when you get your blood work done. The dietary guidelines for Americans, you know, they get published every five years. And so the most recent report um, just came out. And if you didn't know, this is the report that is that is written by 20 different people. It's a committee of 20 people of scientists, physicians, dietitians, researchers from various universities. Essentially, it's a think tank, if you will. And they come up with the recommendations for Americans. They assess diets of our of our population, and they tell us, you know, where how are we eating, and where can we improve to improve our health. And so, what the key difference in this year's report that I noticed was now they have a section where they're including dietary supplements as a viable means to increase nutrient intake. And from a dietitian's perspective, you know, we know the effectiveness of a prenatal vitamin. It's standard of care. So if we know that people are eating poorly, you know, we know people are missing key micronutrients, then it should be standard of care to make sure that they're getting it, especially if you're at risk. So to me, it was, it was nice to see that they included this as an option. Um, for people meeting their micronutrient needs. And why, why is that important? Because there's people in this country that are vulnerable. They're, they're especially vulnerable to poor nutrition, and that puts them at risk of chronic disease, health issues, and puts them in risk for getting sick. So in this country, food insecurity is an issue, believe it or not, 37 million people and 6 million children they live in houses that they don't know if they're going to have enough food to eat anytime soon. And it disproportionately affects the low income, blacks, Hispanics, um, single parent households and households with young kids. And you'll also, if you look at the data, the people who are getting infected the most with the coronavirus tend to be those that are disproportionately effective or vulnerable to poor nutrition. And so the U.S. dietary guidelines, them expanding and access to vitamins and minerals may be a viable solution for people to you know, improve their nutritional status. I thought that was good news. Okay, so some of the key takeaways as fitness professionals to consider from this session. First and foremost, as a, as a dietitian, it's always food first, and it's the big rocks. It's the stuff that we can control, right? It's the stuff that we can modify and make part of a healthy lifestyle. And you will probably remember those things from the beginning of the session. Things like um, getting good sleep, limiting alcohol, managing stress, incorporating enjoyable exercise. All those different things are equally important as micronutrient intake. So they all play a big role in building a strong immune system. So lifestyle behaviors, it's, it's all part of the big picture of building an immune system. And you know you can't do things overnight in the, in, when it comes to getting results, whether that's immune system, whether it's fat loss, whether it's muscle gain or improving your athletic performance, it requires consistency over time. So consistency is key to our immune system, just like it is any other fitness related goal. Okay, just like I saw, uh, 
shared here with this picture on the slide, you know, eating a wide variety of fresh, minimally processed foods. And why do I say it that way? Because, you know, uh, people are cooking at home less. Well, maybe not now with the coronavirus, but people still eat more out and take out more fast food um, from a historical perspective. So another silver lining, perhaps, of this pandemic is that now that we're at home more, we have more time to cook and prepare fresh foods because we know through the data, home cooked meals tend to be more nutritious and fewer in um, calories than foods from restaurants, especially fast foods. So eat a wide variety. Now here's another thing that I see. Think to yourself or raise your hand if you are a creature of habit and you eat the same fruits and vegetables and protein sources on a regular rotating basis, right? That would be me. So I tend to be a creature of habit. We all are, we are all creatures of habit. And that's good because it provides us with, you know, we don't have to think about what we're gonna be, eat, but the downside of that is if you're always eating the same fruits and vegetables, you're not getting a wide variety of, you know, like eating like the rainbow you've probably heard, or you're not getting salmon or beans or lentils, plant proteins. Um, then what you're doing is you're limiting your micronutrient intake, which once again, compromise your immune system. So the takeaway from that is you want to mix it up, you know, Maybe eat seasonally. That is one way to ensure that you're getting all the colors of the rainbow, particularly from fruits and vegetables. But you really do want to mix it up when it comes to fruits, vegetables, protein sources, and all the different whole grains that are out there, whole grain foods and, um, you know, legumes, the family of legumes, your lentils, your beans, your peas. So eat a wide variety. Cook more. You've got more time. So get a good cookbook, perhaps, or, you know, the Internet's got a lot of stuff out there. You don't wanna cut food groups out. I know it's popular to do so nowadays with the different diets that are out there, the fad diets, but when you cut a food group, when you don't eat any dairy, when you don't eat any you know, certain vegetables, when you cut out all legumes, you're missing micronutrients. So I wanna encourage you to include um, foods from all food groups, as long as you don't have allergies you know, or have a medical need to do so, eating a well-balanced diet is going to support a strong immune system. And then finally, you know, a multivitamin mineral is, is a viable option. It is a way to get the commonly under-consumed nutrients in a population, um, as well as vitamin D supplements. And then in the case of the ones I listed on that table, zinc, vitamin C, um, your omegas, those you can also um, maybe increase above the RDA, but below the upper limit to meet your daily requirements and to support optimal function of your immune system. So that's it. I hope you got some good takeaways. I hope it answers some questions. I know a lot of people have been at researching immune system, immune function and micronutrients. Um, I've included my email, cat at jotfit.com. For those of you who want to reach out to me, maybe you have questions, I'm happy to answer them. And then some of you science geeks that are out there, um, I also included the full list of references. So if you want to dig in, um, print out some of those papers that I was referring to, maybe learn more about you know the key micronutrients, the recommended daily allow dietary allowances, as well as upper limits this full uh, list of references is also available. Thank you very much. I appreciate you guys joining this session and have a good day.